Welcome to Open Mind Industries Podcast, The Mind Unleashed. Sit back, relax, and unleash your mind. Hey guys, welcome to episode 63 of the Mind Unleashed. In this episode, I have a good friend of mine from the old T2 days, Ben Patient. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, eh, it happens. I do apologize, Ben. So in this one, he'll be talking about TEDx. He did a TEDx uh, talk on YouTube. The link will be down below in the description. And there will be a special audio file after the podcast. We talk about everything from his stunt work days from T2, and just really have an all-around awesome chat about 3D printing, etc. Hope you guys enjoy. I had a fun time talking with him. Sit back, relax. Here comes the episode. So you know, it's, it's doing its thing. Wait, raining in Florida? Really? Well, you know, <laughs> early in the morning? Can you believe it? It's just, just that part of the day, right? Exactly. I didn't even know where you guys were anymore. Where you guys moved to? We're in Denver. Oh, so you're right where my girlfriend's parents live. Mile High City, man. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good, good place. Maybe. We don't, we don't have the humidity. Well, yeah. I mean, the humidity is. Well, you don't want that anymore. But you guys either way, it's a, you guys get the snow now, though. Yeah, I guess we get it, <laughs> whether or not we want it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, everything is good. Everything looks good on good. the levels. So, yeah, you sound everything sounds good. I'm ready when you are, whenever you feel comfortable. Cool. And yeah, um, man, any, I'm ready anytime. Okay. Let's kick this thing off. Oh my god, it's well, it's been over a year. I've been trying to get you on and schedules together, and I'm like, who do I want to get on? Who do I want to talk to? Yeah. And then when I saw your TED talk, and I'm like. Dude, I want to talk about that. Like, what he's done. Awesome. So, awesome. like, for those who don't know, and we're already recording, screen's recording, um, Ben, we worked together at Terminator. He became a lead and did multi-things and, and management and found out he was also John Connor. And I was like, in Japan, I was like, holy crap. <laughs> but what I want to dig down to is, uh, for those who don't know, he did a TED TEDx talk. What was that about? And how did that all begin? So, it, it kind of started with... Um my leadership experience, you know, being on being on both sides of the leadership equation, if you will, as an employee and kind of seeing like, you know, I really wish my manager would do X, Y, or Z. And then having some experience as a, as a manager and a lead um, in, a, in a few different environments and looking at the things that I missed, you know, as a manager that, that as I kind of passed through certain situations, looking back on those thinking, gosh, I really wish I would have done this different or... I could have done this better. Uh, paired that with some of my my experience and, and education. So I was at Rollins College. I did my bachelor's degree there, and then I did the master's degree in human resources. Oh, wow. So, you know, just looking at those things and, and kind of trying to put some of the research with the practical experience. Because as many of us know, um, you go to school, you learn something, and the theory is nice. But then when you go to put it in a practical application, it's like, eh, it doesn't quite work as well as it does in theory. When you were doing the, the school thing, was that, did they kind of take you into the field? Did they kind of give you scenarios? Or So there was a lot of scenarios and, and a lot of, um, I guess, previous examples that we looked, kind of used as case studies. Uh, there was a little bit of work that we did um, that we worked with a local company to help them solve one of their problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, I think getting the hands on and then at the same time I was working. So looking at the things that I'm learning and, and my work environment and trying to pair those things together to see how does that, how does that all work? How, how can we make it happen? And 
we talk about these idealistic scenarios and it's like, well, that's nice, but how do we just make a small improvement, you know, in our current environments yeah. instead of just going for this, going for the gold and saying like, oh, you know, it could be just so wonderful and happy and Unfortunately, it's not always realistic. No, it's, it's it's sad when you look at companies, and that's what I kind of want to dig out with you. Is, is like when you went from your one degree to another degree. Did you, you were there more outlets from that of getting the next degree, and there were more things that opened up. Um, I think in some areas, yes, and in some areas, you know, when you're looking at um, at the job opportunities and and that sort of thing, uh, there are there are a few people that were in my cohort that they went straight from the bachelor's degree to the master's degree. Oh, so really nothing nothing in between. Yeah. And a lot of their challenge as we were, were ending that program was a lot of businesses and, and um, companies want more experience. Mm. So they might want a bachelor's or master's, but they, you know, three to five years of experience mm. is required. So it kind of becomes a, a catch-22. Even if you have like a marketing degree, it's like, oh, we want you in the field, but you don't have any field experience. How do I get field yeah. experience if you're not giving me the experience? Yeah. So it's it's kind of that that vicious cycle of, you know, you it, it's I think becoming more and more. You've got to get those internships or it was or that you, sort of thing. I, I saw you doing a lot of the stuff with Universal and getting into the lead, you know, stuff like that. Management, trying to get into HR field and learning a bit more about that. And sure, how did, how did yeah. that you know teach you with the degrees of you know going from a company like that into the field that you're in now? So I still work in, in human resources, um, and I think, you know, as far as, like, decision-making and, you know, I, really the, the drill with school is how to, how to pack in um, your tasks and, and streamline your work. Um, you know, your, uh, my, my undergrad was in organizational behavior, so a lot of it was HR theory motivation theories, that sort of thing. So for me, the transition from the undergrad to the graduate degree, it was almost just like a repeat. Um, of course, we went more in depth and there was a little bit more weight to the things that we, we looked at and what we did. But mm -hmm. I think having that foundation kind of made it, um, made it a little bit easier for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then working while doing the deg both degrees, it really just helped me learn how how do I streamline my work? Mm. Uh, because it's all squished together, and you've got to get it done. Pretty much, and you were pretty you were pretty motivated doing it. You were like, I had this going on and that going on, and being able to combine so you, it all was insane. Yeah, yeah. So it's just about. I mean, for me, I really learned about how to make the most impact in the shortest amount of time. How to get that work done, and I think that's something that you know it. It I did that before in my personal life, mm. but just kind of learning to transition that and then maximize and leverage, you know, that practice, uh, was, was helpful. Mm. Do you think, you know, with, with the degrees now and what you've learned, does it help you more in personal life or is it like something that you push more forward from your motivation? Yeah, I think it's it, it, like everything in life, it becomes a combination. So I think it has impacted how I, how I think about things and, and problem solve, um, you know, it's, I, it's helped to dig in a little bit more about, like, the, the why, the how, the what if, mm. um, and kind of work those scenarios and then also push myself mm. because it definitely was an experience and, and challenging. And, you know, there are as, – as nice as it is to be done, there, there are times – You never going stop to, learning. 
Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Said, theory never stops. It's like, okay, well, we have this new, this new program or this new idea. And especially you brought a couple of things up with your new stuff. And I'm like, this mm-hmm. is intriguing. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's, you know, like I, I draw inspiration from, you know, like my friends that I see doing stuff. I, like for you, for example, I see you doing the 3D printing. And I, th- you know, I think, I'm not necessarily going after 3D printing, but I see you going after things that are important to you that are, that are making a difference. Uh, so to me that kind of, I think has some accountability and a challenge of like, what am I, what am I doing and what could I be doing more of? Mm -hmm. And it, and you know, sometimes those things are just for us. It's like, I want to make a difference Mm -hmm. and that's important to me. So I'm going to go for it and give it a try and feel good about you know, taking that step and, and challenging myself or taking that risk. And if it works out, then that's amazing. And if it doesn't, then it's, it's you know, you, yeah, you have to, yeah. The thing is like, I've learned from you and I've watched you and your talk and just like made a lot of sense and you have to feel like, like 3d printing and R and D work that I'm into. And it's like, I get told no about 90 times a day. And everybody's like, wait, what do you yeah. mean? I said, I sent out emails to companies who do R and D and I'm like, Hey, I'm interested in this film and how it would work for this application or no, we're not interested. You're not. Your numbers aren't high enough, or you don't have enough followers following sure. you. Too. And it, it sucks. I said, keep going. Just keep moving forward. Yeah. That one no turns into ninety no's. That one yes might help you in this area, but you gotta yeah. keep, gotta keep moving forward. And you that's maybe, key. And yeah, it, yeah. It really and I think what you said about R and D is like life is R and D, and and we never really can expect to arrive at that finished product but we just got to keep going through those iterations mm-hmm. to say like what you know what can i do a little bit different or what have i learned as you mentioned what have i learned from this experience mm-hmm. you know what it was uh, so when you did you know the whole ted talk how did that all come about and how did you who do you speak with and what was the breakdown of just getting everything set up so that's a that's a good question um there was there was probably about three years uh, prior prior to that where I had um, submitted different ideas for, you know, how do we like look at the workplace different? Mm -hmm. You know, I I was attending multiple HR conferences and, and so you've got that paired with the school and a lot of theories and, you know, you're looking at research of the workforce is, has been disengaged. I think we've got like, 30% 30% of the workforce on average in the, in the United States, which is, you know, 30% is not really that high, no, but thir- think about it. Yeah, no. and, and we're the highest in the world, according to that research, which is kind what? of like, it's kind of shocking. Cause you think like only 30%. So that means, you know, you've got a third of the workforce that's really like driving forward to get the results. You've got probably about half that are just kind of doing the, doing the minimum mm. And then, then you've got some that are active, what they call actively disengaged, who are trying to, you know, like they just they don't want to do anything at all, yeah. and just and that's the weight that everybody out. else, yeah, yeah. if that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just looking at all those things, I I kind of was coming up with some of my own ideas of, you know, we're we're doing the same thing, we're getting the same types of results. I've got ideas to do things differently. Mm-hmm. So there was about three years of different applications of for speaking at different HR events and that, and um, you know, like you said, you get you get the ninety no's, yeah. Um, and so just kind of tweaking those ideas, changing it, um, and uh, for the TEDx talk, it just aligned with the with the theme of their um, 
of that that production that they were doing that year. Mm-hmm. It lined up well. Um, I actually, you know, didn't expect to hear from them. Really? Just because of, you know, the the past three years of applications. And I just thought, well, you know, I've got an idea. Let me just keep sharing it and keep looking for opportunities. And, yeah, like you've already gone that far, step. And so, you know, tracking those, I actually followed up with them and just said, hey, you know, I haven't heard from you guys. Just wanted to check in. And they said, uh, back in an email, they said, oh, yeah, sorry, we're a little bit behind, but we'd love to have you. And I was kind of like, oh, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when the, like, the nerves really just set in. I was like, okay, shoot, this is real. Uh, I better better get my stuff together. (laughs) Wow. That was so, like a night and day thing. Like, wait, uh, no, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I put was, my money with my mouth, as I guess. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, it was kind of a shock at at um, you know, having different ideas and having put those together and expecting a no, mm. and then getting a yes. And I think, you know, oftentimes, yeah, like, oftentimes our mentality is like we go in expecting a yes, just a, you know, just in general, and and we get the no, and it's. You know, I think it's, it's, it's just being confident. It's like you go in and you like, let me present myself as best I can. Let me show the yep. work that I've done. And it's like all that confidence. And you're like, I think no. And then you second guess yourself. And then when they finally say, yeah, you're like, yeah. <gasps> it's like, okay. No, I have it's to like, kinda, oh, what? No, wait, I have to show my work. Yeah. 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 And, and I think for me, that's been key just throughout, um, throughout a lot of my experiences mm-hmm. is, is, you know, do you look at the term luck and that saying of like luck is the preparation meeting the opportunity oh yeah and you know that's really what it was is is um just you know having having gone through that being ready and uh then that opportunity arising and uh and then going for it how long was the setup process like finally once you finally get your application through did you go through like a pre-stage day or any kind of like I uh, you had a 30-minute spiel and then break it down to, like, 10 minutes? Because I know some people had, like, an hour, but they were like, oh, I had to break it down to, like, 40, you know, um, 45 minutes. Yeah. So this was um, – and, and the way that their format is, is is if you're using research, it has to either be your own or you have to get permission permission to use research. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my – Exactly, like, uh, printing work, yeah. Yeah. So exactly a lot of like a, a lot of what I – had kind of come to the conclusion on was based on other research and kind of putting different pieces together. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of a challenge because, because with those parameters, I had to cut out some of that because it's not my research. I didn't do the studies. Um, and then, so I, so I just cut those out and, and, um, you know, really a lot of it was as, as I peel back the layers of the onion and doing the research mm-hmm. and I kind of was, was coming up with this idea and the four steps and looking back on my experience and just seeing how, you know, it's really the basis of a of an iterative process. And and you know, going back to looking at R and D and life being R and D is, if we're not looking back and kind of fixing the things that Probably we did, we had, yeah, yeah, then then we're you know we're going to make the same mistakes, mm-hmm. and we probably still will make the same mistakes, but we can make them le- to to a, a lesser degree, extent. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so, so from the time I was notified, I had five weeks Whoa. to to put together ten to twelve minutes. Um, so <clears throat> that doesn't sound like even in podcast, like just getting a conversation down to like thirty minutes. Because when I started yeah. podcast, everybody's like, "Keep it down to thirty minutes." And then when you have a good scenario, a good person, you can bring it to forty-five to an hour. And I'm like, "Okay, where, sure. do, where does demographic drop?" And I'm just like, "Oof." Yeah, and and I think. 
and you would you would know, but it's easier said than done. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot easier to stretch something out and explain it. When you gotta condense it down, it's like, oh boy, okay. Oh, how do you how do you, you hit like the points with the same impact? When you finally you finally had your script together and you're just like did you feel like it was too long? Did you feel like how many iterations did you go through? I went through a few and you know, looking back there's things I would have done differently for sure. Yeah. Um but there there was a few because you you wanna make it you know, like anything, you want to keep it interesting, but you still want to hit those same points and make sh- mm-hmm. and try to make sure that they have that same impact. Um, so there was, I mean, that's the first couple of days I was kind of like, oh, man, how am I going to do this? <laughs> should, should I do this? Oh, like, I don't know. <laughs> I went this far. I did all the applications. They said yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the first couple of days I was like, okay, this is like a heavy lift, but then just started started chipping away and and did a few iterations along the way and and got you know reached out to some people got feedback got you know ideas and thoughts and and uh, just kind of started chipping it down and and shifting and and adjusting so it definitely was not anywhere near what the first iteration was mm-hmm. it, a lot of big changes at first and then a lot of the small changes to kind of tweak and and that sort of thing along the way mm-hmm. so when you're finally there on like the day and you finally get the you know headset on, they're like, okay, you're you're like person number six that's going on. You only have this many minutes. Here's the light you need to look at. Here's how much time. How did that feel? The, the I think the night before we did a a run through. Yeah. And that was probably the most nerve wracking process. Really? But, um, you know, they have you stand on a red carpet, and so to practice and that sort of thing. I I actually was recording myself. Um, those prob- probably about two to three weeks before I had, I'd got a red carpet. Oh, wow. Uh, just, <laughs> just a red rug. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> like the universal uh, VIP experience. I know. And, uh, I set up my camera, I got a tripod, I set it up on a table and I would go through my, my speech and I'd do it as though it was real and, and give my, you know, give my best effort. So the most nerve wracking part was the night before, but I kind of just felt like, you know, I had prepped as much as I could. Yeah. Um, I went through all the things that I was supposed to do, and so hopefully that would, uh, hopefully those would help me when, it, when yeah. the time actually came. I, like I watched it, and I watched it again the other day because I'm like, I can't find it anywhere, and I had to literally go on through your page through Facebook, and then I, okay. found, I finally found it on YouTube, and I'm like, okay, I think they deleted it, and no, no one deleted it, so it will be posted in the podcast if those who haven't seen it. But there's one part I was like, the camera zooms out, and I'm like, you're thinking it's like a huge crowd. It's not. It's probably like what 300 people, auditorium. Yeah. Maybe. And so, they, yeah, they probably have about 200 people max, and and uh, they're there are limitations for like the venues who are hosting their TEDx, which are the independent events. So they, they have a, they have some limitations. So yeah, there was probably about 150, 200 people or so. Yeah. It was interesting because the one part you're like, okay, it's like, I'm going to talk about heat man and do this. It's like, and I was like, all right, that was great. Y'all need to stand. And everybody was like, do I get up? Do I sit down? The core guy, like in the front at a camera and he was like, I put this down or I put it up and I started lying to laugh. And I'm like, (laughs) like, Ben's just having the ball. Yeah. You were so natural. You were so fluid. And I think it was, like you said, the the process of it. Were you shitting your pants in there and just like... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, like I think really the nerves were the night before. And, mm. and uh, the, the parts that you don't see is like beforehand as people were coming in. There was, we, you know, the, the those who were speaking were out. We were out kind of mingling with the crowd. I had, I had actually went to uh, 
I think it was Tim Hortons around the corner from the venue and just got some coffee, uh, brought some coffee back for the, for some of the other speakers, had some donuts and stuff. Because, you know, like, um, having been a performer, mm-hmm. I, th- I think the nerves for me have always been right before. And, um, you know, going back to my years, I, I did competitive martial arts. And so I was tournaments for, you know, dozen or so years and so it's for me the nerves set in and then it's like once it's go time like your brain just switches to i know what i gotta do i gotta get out there and do it that was me i did a public talk and somebody's like oh i need you to talk at a fringe festival it's pretty heavy a microphone i'm like are you podcast you're easy i'm like uh what do i say and then no just talk about and i i I just kind of started flowing and they're like dude you and then i couldn't they couldn't get the mic away from me and they're like dude you were just natural i'm like i don't know what you want me to say there was no a, B, or C. I had to say, oh, talk about your 3D printing or your, what you do. And I'm like, um, this is what we do. This is our goal, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, follow me on this, follow me on this, follow me on this, follow this person. And I was like, ugh. But that nerd getting but, over the nerves, like throwing into you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's good because, it, you know, you know your stuff. Yeah. And so, like, I think it's easy to get intimidated, like you said, and, and, um, and have that initial shock moment where you're like, oh, man. But, you know, you know your stuff. You know you yeah. and, and the things that you do. So then uh, I guess just not, not trying to make it more than what it is and no. just say, hey, I'm going to talk about myself and just be real. Yeah. Uh, that's neat. Good job, man. <laughs> well, it, do, you have a, do you have a recording of that? I do not. It was so damn no. quick and it was like it was this year and they're like, hey, here's a microphone. I'm like, why? why? When my buddy's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm hosting. So here's like talk about your business or talk about what you're doing. And I'm like. Like oh look at his look at his thing and what he does and he's working on this and he's testing out this and I'm like don't do that to me. <laughs> I'm like I'm a, I'm a no I'm a nobody. I'm a no one. Don't you put were, me on the spot. You were a fringe performer. <laughs> it was it was a fun experience, but I was just like everybody can hear me. Crap. Uh, there's like 700 of you. You're all drunk. Okay. Um. Anyway, follow us here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Do you think you'd you think you'd want to do more of that t- that sort of stuff Somebody, in the future? A few friends have offered me the idea because they have listened to the podcast, and I, I when I made the podcast, it was just for me to speak and just kind of talk about nerdy stuff and what we're working on, or what I'm working on in general, and just have fun with it. And yeah, somebody's like, "Oh, I don't like you use profanity." I'm like, "I like using profanity because I like a conversation to be genuine. I don't like someone to hold back on a story or an idea because a lot of, a lot of podcasts I listen to or a lot of stories from the news I listen to." People are like, oh, can I curse? Because I really want to explain this scenario that really happened, but they get they get restricted, and I don't like that. I like a, a flowing conversation of what really happened or make the person feel very comfortable in the environment yeah. so they can get what they need across. And um, I went from there, and then somebody was like, hey, I need you to hop on. And a friend of mine in Valencia, um, she does interpreting and stuff. She's like, somebody wants to have you in their class to talk. And I'm like, what do I talk about? I was like, uh, the company's not really that successful yet. I was like, I'm still building it up from here. She's like, no, but that's what they want to talk about. They want to kind of, you're starting from scratch, ground zero. What did you learn or what did, how were your failures or where did you go? Um, I want, how, like, how did the people start? Like, what do they should, what should they know? And I'm like, yeah. And I, I didn't, I just accepted the offer because I was like, I'm not ready yet to even speak about that in front of all these kids, you know, these college kids. Um, yeah, I would probably get some great feedback and some great criticism because that's what you need. Um, for those who do YouTube pages, nothing that criticism is the best thing you're going to take it. If you can't take it, probably it's a field for you. And I always tell yeah. people, don't. The truth is, don't read the comments. You know, it's like never read the comments. You know, even if they're good or bad, you know what you've done. You know, and mm-hmm. keep, you keep doing it. You know, 
when you did your thing, was it like, you know, when you were finally done, did you get a lot of compliments? Did people kind of constructive criticism or at the end of it? Or um, I, there, there were a few people that I had the opportunity to speak with afterward, and and they kind of just said like, you kind of it was it was along the lines of what I had already kind of thought about the process is this is something we already do, but it's nice to have it specifically outlined. And, and I've mentioned it a few times, so I'll just kind of spell it out here. It's, you know, reflecting and looking back on our experiences, mm-hmm. evaluating ourselves based on our own criteria or, or a kind of a set standard of guidelines, developing a plan and, and kind of looking at what, what that looks like moving forward mm-hmm. and then implementing that. And I think a lot of people get stuck on, they get really good at planning and then they get the, um, they just kind of freeze or they don't step forward because it's, uh, you know, they're evaluating too many options or they're kind of what do they call it analysis paralysis. Yeah. I think, so always, I think you're second guessing yourself and that's the problem. I do it a lot myself. And it's like, will this, will, you know, part A go to part B and the end yeah. become the final result. And you're just kind of like, I don't want to fail here, but I'm going to fail either way. You don't want that failure at the end of it, but you have to fail. Sure. Yeah. You have to fail to learn and grow. Um, you know, and I wanted to say with some of the stuff that you're doing, I don't think that we should just look at these people like, you know, Warren Buffett or or um, Mark Zuckerberg or whatever to learn from. Because sure, you're, you're only at the beginning stages of, mm-hmm. of what you're doing, but nobody is in the same scenario. So it's I think it's so valuable to hear experiences from people who are starting it, the challenges that they're going through. Yeah. Um, because it's easy to look at these like, you know, basically mega stars of success. And then if we're looking at that, we're thinking, gosh, man, I'm nowhere near that. It's just not as tangible. We can't connect no, with that as easily. You've got to start from somewhere. And <clears throat> I started the podcast, I want to say about, it's been over two years now. And I'm only up to like, this will be episode 63, I believe. And everybody's okay. like, oh my God, like how many have you done? And I'm like, I just started from scratch and said, screw it. Let me go through the yeah. Iteration of process, you know, like I'm not yeah. here, I'm not here, and surprisingly, I checked our, our analytics since I moved it over to another hosting site. I told my friend the other day, I said, "Dude, I'm at four thousand and one downloads." He goes, "Wait, what?" I went, "That's awesome." I was like, "That's terrifying." <laughs> That's really awesome. That people listen. There's no uh, reviews or anything. That's fine. I don't mind about that. It's just scary yeah. that people listen. <laughs> am I am I saying something correct? I have no idea. You know, is it is it something for the car when you're clearing your brain? Maybe. I have no yeah. idea, um, but you start and you just people what they want, and I it, it's sad that everybody wants this entrepreneurial success. They want it quick, fast. They want to be this this rising star, but it's not. That's not how it goes, and they don't see you yeah. know how Zuckerberg actually got there. It wasn't just Zuckerberg; it was somebody right. else helping him, somebody else, and they don't show with who people that actually shoved you forward. You know who people who guided you forward. Yeah, and. You know, it's like what you said. It's like you went out there and you got your degrees and people were, you know, let me see how this TEDx thing was going. And you spoke to other people and then you put it together and it was like, is this good? You know, and they're like, yeah, it's good. Try this. And, you know, they're, they're the ones that pushed you to find the final products, you know, mm-hmm. made you feel comfortable, you know. And people just need to relax and just and take it as it comes. It's, it's going to be a long iteration process. It's yeah. like there's, there's projects I'm still working on that it's like I'm talking to R&D people and I'm like, looking at your product, I want to try. And they're like, well, not right now. Or, you know, it's too much. We don't really want to use that to iterate for this, you know. And a lot of companies, sure. sadly, nowadays, are they want, they're now looking at the YouTube stars and the you know, people on Facebook, and, and, and they look at that, and they're like, well, we want we want higher numbers, or we want more um, 
uh, star power to get us get our product off the ground. Sadly, um, the sad thing is they need to look at smaller independent companies that are really trying to build something. When mm-hmm. like I said, I get ninety notes pretty much a day, and I sit there and, and once I, I don't email back angrily, I just email back. You really should take another look at something because this would help you in another area you don't know you, you even noticed. You know, mm-hmm. it's free advertising for you. I'm gaining nothing except for product experience or whatever. It's it's sad that a lot of companies don't think that way. They think about the you know marketing goal. The in the end of the day, their numbers need to be high. You know, for yeah. profitability. And it's it's sad that companies look that way. They don't look at the what got them there. You know. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think the challenge that that we look at is, you know, like even as an individual, we look at these these influencers, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I but I think that there's there's only so much we can look at at these influencers before there's, you know, and, and the in our, gets in our, back and you're like, oh, their life isn't, yeah. that, isn't that great. They're struggling just as hard. Yeah. And, you know, when they get to the point where they're mul- they're advertising multiple products or this or that. Um, there just kind of gets to be a point where we can't necessarily feel that same connection with them as, as before. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, are they influencing or, you know, are these like semi celebrities now and, and kind of, I think, I think we'll probably see a little bit of a shift, um, with that in the next couple of years. What do you, you know, since your TED talk was over and you know, you've, what was the application that you started? I saw the application you started building for management so they could talk better with their employees. How is that coming along? So that came along well. There's uh, some back. I, I didn't do that by myself. Okay. Um, the team, I'm not. Was, I'd like to know more about that because I saw it and I said, oh my God, this is what he's been working on with the team. So, Yeah. So initially I had designed it um, and kind of had these these pictures in my head of how, you know, what it would look like. Yeah, and, the UI and stuff and, like that. Yeah, and what it would do, um, and I would say like, I, I had basically I went to Home Depot and bought this uh, white panel board. It was a four by six panel board and used it as a whiteboard, and it uh, looks pretty good as a whiteboard. It's a lot cheaper than than having to buy an actual white, whiteboard. whiteboard. Yeah, it's like fifteen bucks versus a hundred. That I bought for the so. wall. I have a literally a polyurethane <laughs> little piece of plastic. And he's like, why? I was like, take dry erase, and it's so much cheaper. It just takes some hot glue. Oh yeah. I said, and you can reuse the board. You're not spending a hundred dollars. Yeah, it's much cheaper. Yeah. Um. Now, now they've got the uh, the whiteboard and chalkboard paint and. Um, you know, of course I wasn't in the spot where I could paint my walls, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's another option if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I had like drawn pictures and, and, um, there was a lot of, you know, that kind of was another one of those things where I looked at the things that I had done well or, or not done, or I remember getting a performance review where my manager really didn't know a thing about me didn't know really? a, a thing about the the things i had contributed to and you know it was just, it was a little surprising to me just because it's like you know i'd been there a year mm. and they didn't really know do you feel like you got lost in the ether a little bit lost in the details or ether like the the employment oh yeah 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 lost in the shuffle yeah <laughs> yeah and you know, like, and I, I remember as a manager, there was a guy who always, you know, tried to do the best he could and, and would be willing to, to try anything new and, and challenge. And, you know, I remembered, okay, this guy likes diet soda, mm. but I, I couldn't remember, was it, did he like, you know, diet Coke or was it diet Pepsi? 
and one of them he liked and the other one he like just hated hated. (laughs) so you know you've got that stuck in your mind like okay i know it's diet but that's not good enough uh so really what the app was about is building that you know kind of you know it it was about connecting and sometimes, you know, we're, we're on our phones or we're getting pulled in so many different directions. And I think a lot more has happened since 2008, where a lot of roles and, and jobs were compressed because of the recession. Mm-hmm. So people are having to do more with less. And of course, as, as we look at lean and, um, you know, the Kaizen or, or any of those types of um, processes, we're we're expected to do more with less. We're we're pulled no, in more no, areas, no, and that's and we've got universal mindset lately. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so even you know being a leader or being in HR, I was looking at you know there is a disconnection. How do we you know even reference some of those small things before a conversation, um, you know without a notebook, and we're on our phones, and our phones are used for so many different things. So that's kind of where the platform came from, and it it. Uh, it was about knowing the specifics, like not just knowing you as an employee, but knowing you a little bit as a person. Like mm-hmm. what, what kind of things do you like? What, you know, do you have favorite movies? Do you have favorite, you know, candy, snacks, chips or whatever? Because if I want to give you something that's meaningful to you, it's, it's got to be meaningful to you. And right. it's, you know, I've seen situations where employees got rewarded with a Starbucks gift card and they don't drink coffee or tea. Yeah. And so you know, that doesn't diminish the intent, but it, it does kind of diminish that recipient's feeling of, wow, you know, I got something that is, is really not very useful use. to me. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it just, it, it, it takes away from what it really could be. Mm. Uh, and so that's kind of what that was all about is really, you know, tuning into that individual and their performance and their goals and, and, personalizing it because i think we need, we need a little bit of that individualization you do and when you were the company for like you said you were there for what a year we're still at a year then yeah it was it was a year it was that it was that one year review uh period that's how i feel like i, I get reviews every year and everybody knows the company i work for universal and it's kind of like when you switch they do a transition every year it happens about three times a year they'll smooth management over to another area and every year i get my review and the manager doesn't even know me I walk in. Sure. They're like, "Hey, so we haven't met. I'm so and so." And you sit down. Hi, how are you? Uh, and then you go through the whole entire list of what you did right or wrong, or you know, you exceed expectations, or you've done this, or you've done this. Nobody really cares about that. It's like, "Hey, how do I improve as an employee?" Nothing really. You've been good all year. You know, you know your job. So you know your job. You know how to deal with clients, customers, guests, etc. And then at the end of it, you're just looking to see what your percentage raise is. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, there's my percentage raise. <laughs> at the, I mean, let's be honest. That's pretty much what everybody looks for is that raise. And, you know, they try all these things with management to brighten the employee. And something did happen. I will bring this up to those. Um, so every year we have a summer peak challenge. And it's like, okay, we need capacity, capacity, capacity. And ben has worked for Universal, so he understands that mindset of what they do yeah. to, to motivate the employee. And, you know, you don't, you don't know the employee very well. You know of them after a few weeks, stuff like that. But managers forget your name. You're, you're, you're an ID number. Um, so what we would do is we'd have to get capacity goals, you know, get service goals, get this and go. Pilates, it was, I think, uh, Infinity War was about to come out. So we had, like, these... Okay. Yeah, we had, like, these rings we had to fill up. And the effed up part was, you know, the fricked up part was, is, like, we're working our butts off. Like, first crew would come in, which I would be part of. We'd 
get these counts, you know, it's 72 per, you know, ride vehicle, you get them in, you get them out, get them in, get them out, full shows, full shows, full shows, because they didn't take, you know, no for an answer, you know. Yeah. Finally got them all in, <laughs> built up the one guest service goal for the guest positive, which those aren't easy to get because people come from all across the world and they don't speak, sure. there's a language barrier, there's this, and you're like, okay, I've done something right, can you go to guest services, let them know, and there's another thing Universal's trying to do with Twitter, and now that Disney does their Twitter thing, so you can comment faster uh, on mm-hmm. the on the employee. So we fill them all up, and we're like, okay, we get an arcade night at the arcade, and Ben knows where that is, so... We all get brought over, and they're like, okay, for those who aren't going to make it, uh, we, we're supposed to, like, pie a, a manager or get the manager wed, you know. It's something that employee, you know, it motivates the employee. Like, okay, I really like this boss. I want to pie him with, like, you know, whipped cream or whatever, you know. It's, just, it's <laughs> something you can do. Um, so we got all the challenges. We got, like, a, you know, a stupid pizza party or something like that. Everybody was kind of like, whatever, cool. The one thing we all got excited for was the arcade night, because you can go with your coworkers and people that you have to mingle with for, like, three or four months of hell. It literally is hell, guys. Ben knows. It's it's hell on Earth. It's 53,000 people a day. You're out there in the hunt. You're you're, the, I'm sorry, you're out there in the heat, and yeah, you're trying you're, to hurry up. And you're fighting, and it's just you're just you're working with your employee. You've got people next to you. You're squeezing through. It's a job that I can not compare to the world. I think DMV, maybe, or being a surgeon, maybe, is the only <laughs> two jobs. I even talked to a surgeon. I'm like, this job is like being at the DMV or like being a surgeon in the triage. You know, And he's like... Really? I'm like, dude, how many people do you see a day? And you know, what's the, your heart rate? And he's like, he's going through, he's like, yeah, you're probably right. You're dealing, you're getting screamed at, you're sweating, you're just trying to keep your calm and try not to get fired. This is the end of the day. Um, so we ended up, we get everything done. And then finally they're like, hey, there's going to be an arcade night. We're like four or five months behind. This is what got lost in the ether because the managers uh-huh. did a transition and yada, yada. And finally they're like, well, Universal doesn't want to pay for blah. So now they're going to make, it, it area thing, which your area, even those people that didn't, you know, achieve their goal, still were yeah. able to perform in it. And I was like, that's kind of messed up. This is supposed to be for our team and another team, but now you're compressing it into one thing, you know, because you're trying to save budget or time. Yeah. And it really made us feel, at the end of it, like what the, f- and a lot of us didn't go because it, the arcades aren't that big in the theme park. And it felt kind of demoralizing. It was like, we did all yeah. this work, and you know, it's yeah, we've got a, a you know a high five. But at the end of the day, you're just like, y'all could have made it a little more meaningful of just you know, yeah. even putting it the one arcade inside the one area that we had. That would have been nicer for some of us, because it's six hundred or like one thousand employees that have to squeeze into this thing. You have to wait your turn. You have to, you know, and it's kind of like ah, it's not really worth coming out here at nine o'clock at night and and playing because it's yeah. you don't feel this love or you know thing. But yeah, that's the. Life. It, it, it breaks trust, and and I think like when we when we look at it on like that personal relationship level, because us as individuals we connect with our the companies we work with or our managers on a personal level, mm. while you know when you look at it from the organization perspective, there's multiple layers, multiple different people making decisions that have to you know get approved or not approved and. I think that's kind of where some of the disconnect comes in. I mean, is that is that sound like it's true in your experience? Oh, very much so. And I think that's the thing that makes motivates me with Open Mind is I talk with my business partner, I talk with friends such as yourself who who are in the HR, and another friend of mine who has their HR degree, and I said, this is what I don't want to do. I want my employees to feel comfortable when they walk in. We, if it ever does become into a, a, a facility of a building, you know, I want employees to walk in and feel like they can write on the wall real quick, right, on a white wall. Of like, hey, yeah. Ali, here's an idea. What do you think? Or so and so department. What do you think? 
And I think it's everything is just disconnected and the Ethernet. I don't know why management... I know why management... Because I think they lose trust at the upper level and it, it just trickles down. It, it all At the end of the day, it becomes uh, how much profit are we making... How can we cut costs and how can we minimize, you know, our profitability? And it seems like that. And then, and, 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 you know, it goes down to the next level of management and then they, yeah. and then they get yelled at. And then your, your leads who will be under your daily bosses who, who know you better than your bosses, which is sad. Uh, but yeah. that's the way companies run. You know, I've been. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's not a bad thing. And I think but in the same breath, there's a, a different way that it could be done and get the same result. You know, you. Businesses are there to make money, hmm. so you can you can still reduce costs and um, you know and watch that bottom line. Uh, but the approach, I think, is key. Yeah, <clears throat> you know how how to do it. I have no idea. You know, I look at a lot of companies and I'm just like, why don't you sure. treat your employees like that? Like, why don't you? You know, it's like you're the boss or you're the CEO. You should, you know, at least. You should take a little bit of suffering too, but make sure you're in the in the grunt with them too, so your employees feel yeah. more motivated. And a lot yeah. of companies, I've seen a lot of small businesses that are more successful, and I talk to a lot of CEOs uh, through Twitter. A lot of people got me, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. Has been my big two um, for three D filament or R and D design because a lot of them are like, "Hey, what are you working on? This is what you're working on. Okay, you're working on crutch tips. Or you're working on a material. Um, have you tried this? No, I have not. We're starting up. We're willing to help you out with a little bit of product." You know, um, mm-hmm. we'll get you in touch with our marketing. And there's teams of like 20 or 30. They're not big teams. And I think they, companies like that, they understand, okay, they know what it's like the grunt work is to be. But they, in the end, they want to make sure everybody feels as contributing as possible because that's how a company yeah. grows. And if the CEO forgets, like, hey, this is what got me here, you know, I think that's where they lose themselves as managers because they're now thinking of this, 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 and this. Yeah, myself in general, I think of 40 different things a day and I'm just like, well, I cannot forget what got me here, you know, ever. And yeah. I think a lot of companies forget that. They just, they become these multi-billion dollar companies and they're just like, eh, I don't know employee one. Although I should know employee one, I don't really have, like you said, the know-how or the application to know, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I think- and it, it is easy, I think, to get, to focus on the process mm-hmm. or, you know, focused on here's what we need to get done uh, and and lose that human element. And I think, you know, whether in one situation or another we've probably all done that of you know leave me alone i'm i'm working on something yeah. to to family or friends so if we can do it to to those close relationships we can do it to those ones who are not as close but i think the the key is to to be able to recognize that and and you know come back to the work's not going to get done without the people no and that's the one thing most companies don't realize what do you feel like since you've learned you know in the hr element when you when you go to hire someone or when the company's looking for something, what do you look for in that element? Well, I, I think I'm still, I think the, the key to remember is I'm still constrained by what, the, you know, the parameters of the organization. But I, I think the number one thing that, that people should have, uh, and that's, this is me personal, is a willingness to learn. Because mm-hmm. if, you're, if, you're, if you can solve problems and you've got a willingness to learn, then, you know, the, there's really not, many limitations and i've i've been hired for roles that i didn't know uh a thing about it when i started and they said hey you've you've got a good attitude you're willing to learn Mm -hmm. we can teach you you know a process we can't teach you to have a good attitude (laughs) or or being willing to learn and grow so so i think you know you might 
you might have to sit and plug away just like anything else in life. But if you've got a good attitude, your willingness to learn, um, and you can solve problems. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of situations, Google has been my best friend. Oh, wow. <laughs> not, the, not the company, the, the, the web <laughs> <Software>. engine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just being able to look things up and say, like, how do you do this? Yeah. And uh, I would say both, both in my personal life um, and in my professional life. I mean, everything from uh, we, had a, we had a car where a gasket on the brake, um, on the brake pedal broke. The gasket broke, and basically what the gasket was is to to keep the lights or make the lights go off. So when it broke, the brake lights went on and stayed on. And so basically, I went on to Google like, how do you get this light off? Because <laughs> to go to the dealership, it was fifty bucks. Yeah. But you know, I went on on uh, Google, found some step by step guides, went to YouTube, saw somebody do it, and then said, oh man, you just get a washer and screw it on and you're all set and that worked like a charm <laughs> so <Save> 50 bucks <laughs> save, save 50 bucks i only had to wash it so i think it's just things like that is being like being able to solve problems and figure it out and try to be a little creative in the process so when you when you finally like go to the hiring process <clears throat> and you see someone walk in it's kind of maybe the, the demeanor just feels a little um not confident or they're sweating a little bit how do you as an interviewee interviewer you know how do you calm them down or make them feel like genuine or comfortable what do you, what are things that you would do I, I think the key is is not to make it um that sterile overly business overly professional structure you know it's got to be i see it all the time at universal it's sad it's it's quick you know I, I, we're not going to get the best out of somebody if we're not connecting with them hmm. you know and and that's kind of I guess you can kind of see that uh, that theme is it, throughout the app and throughout um, you know the four steps of reflecting, evaluating, developing, and implementing is is you got to make it personal. Yeah. So I I smile. I introduce myself. I ask them how they're doing. Um, you know, I've I've interviewed people who are really nervous, and I say, hey, you know what? Like we're just here to have a conversation. Of course, that doesn't always ease the nerves, but even like, hey, let's take a deep breath together. You know, I just want to learn a little bit about you. I know you're here to learn a little bit more about us and, and if this is a good fit for you. Um, so just, you know, trying to, trying to make it a personal conversation. And, of course, it's, it's hard because it's a very structured situation. It's not normal to sit there and have somebody ask you questions. What are, the, what are some questions that you would like to ask or would you, how would you change the process, like, of interviewing? Like, do you guys go through – would you go through resumes first or you – know? What are the things that you would like to implement? I think I think asking people to solve a problem or tell like describe how they would solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've seen I've seen all kinds of stuff. I've you know I've I've been the interviewer for thousands of interviews, um, and a lot of it's you know a lot of it's the same thing. Tell me why you're a good fit to work here. Yeah. Tell me why you're interested in this job. Tell me about you know, a situation where you did this. And I, I think those questions are important because it does give us some insight onto how this person works or handles problems. I think I think I would ask, and a lot of those uh, behavioral questions, what would you do different um, to see how they've learned, how they've grown from that environment? Um, you know, I've met people who are great interviewers because they've gone in and they've, you know, practiced the, the behavioral questions I, I think it'd be great to give them a problem that you know might not be directly related to 
their job or what they would be doing, but just to see their problem-solving process or have them talk me through how they would solve a problem. Because I think that's the most important is, you know, I've, I've seen people who have extensive experience in areas, but they're just used to the routine mm. and vice versa. I've seen people who maybe have no experience, but are really great at figuring things out. And of course there's people all along that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, knowing how to solve problems and how to get results and thinking outside the box. And there's so many companies that value diversity and, and they say, you know, we want people, you know, men and women and, and, you know, the whole gambit of, different uh, characteristics i'd like to see more diversity in thought and um we don't all think the same no and that's the thing it's you look into the the interview process when many that i've been through and seen many of it's that generic question thing it doesn't it doesn't tickle me because i've been in universal and and had interviewed for the same job nine times it was the same question i go to second round second round same Mm -hmm. questions and I got so exhausted, I didn't get the job, folks, because <laughs> uh, tattoos and other reasons were the, the excuse. Not the real reason. But um, but I went through and I'm like, I got so tired by interview th- interview three that it was just like, I'm, I'm going to stop you here because I, I, if we're not going to go forward, you know, if you don't already have it on the notes, what I've just said, I, I don't know what more to tell you. I, I, give me something mm-hmm. else. Like, you know, how do how would you solve for X? And I'm just like, Ugh. it was so generic. Sure. And I don't think companies do that. I think, you know, as humans, we're creatures of habit. We like routine. We like things to be the same. At the same time, we also like change. Um, But, you know, when you, especially as you get in a more corporate environment, it just becomes difficult to do things in a different way. You know, the structure and the routine, it, it becomes just very mechanical. And I think if we could make tweaks to that Mm -hmm. and allow people to be a little bit creative in their approach. Um, and, and some of that comes from my, uh, my performance background and and doing, doing the live shows is we might all have the same role and we all hit the same lines, but we might say it different. We might move different, you know, and, and we all think a little bit differently. And, and so to, to enable a little bit of that, I think would also be enriching for, Everybody who has to do that type of job, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whether it's as a cashier or as a, you know, a director of a department. Yeah. yeah it's weird how people get, you know, they get promoted and they're just like, how the hell did I get here? <laughs> and then yeah. they go over and you're like, Hey, so you were here before and what would you recommend? And, and they kind of lose that element of like, I would do it this way, but it's changed. So I'm not really sure on um, how to now work in the spectrum. I yeah. dealt with somebody the other day when it was in park management and they were asking me questions and I was like, oh, we do it this way now. And he was like, oh, I, I don't like that approach. And I'm like, well, that's how it's, we fixed it. You know, it wasn't done that way a couple of years ago. It, it changed. And he didn't like the, the, um, the way it was being iterated. He, he just didn't, he couldn't deal with it for the amount of people that were, you'd be using the, you know, area that we're using. And I said, well, this is, okay. well, we wouldn't use it that way. And, you know, we can have a talk with our management. I'm like, Talk to the people that are in the field to help you understand yeah. why we're doing it. And I really didn't like that, you know, people that get elevated to management or, you know, get to level and then they look at it and they're just like, oh, no, let me let me bring six people in on this to talk about. No, no, talk to people that are in the field so you can get a better understanding of the pie chart, why it's done distantly. Those hand, hands-on in the trench people really 
are going to be the they best. They save you uh, a lot more money than you going to talk to six, you know, executives and, and saying, why is it being done this way? Is it costing us any more financing-wise? And it's kind of weird, yeah. you know. It's like Cindy, the, the, the really cool interview process. I would, I would love to see that implemented. And I really wish a lot of companies, you know, you see it a lot more in the Netherlands and Iceland and people like that, it's like how the interview, the interview goes. And like, we let's sit down with the employee in general and ask different, different questions, you know, mm-hmm. to find out what, how would this work for you. And a lot of it is to, to see if your resume is kind of lying or, you know, if you, you know, you have the experience with skills, but yet you don't know how to implement them. And like you said, it, you know, it's, it's that, that rut of just going back and forth, back and forth, you know, learning from it. It's like, ugh. I've, I've recently been reading quite a bit about AI. I know that's a big thing. And you see places like McDonald's where their employees are requesting or, you know, requiring 15 bucks an hour, um, and then you start to look at how that starts to compress, you know, the different different pay raises. Yeah, the human interaction you know, also. Yeah, so you look at, you know, if, if the entry level is making 15 bucks an hour, what are we going to pay the managers? Yeah. You know, because that kind of squishes their pay range. So what do these companies do is they go, you know, they go to the tech. And, and so there's a lot of concern about, you know, artificial intelligence and how that's going to work. And I... You know, I don't believe in taking the human element out, but I no, also I understand the businesses are there to make money. So yeah. that's, you know, it's kind of like two things mm-hmm. that are challenging Clash. each other. Yeah. But the one thing that that uh, that computers and AI can't do is be creative in their problem solving. Um, they kind of get a method. They do, they don't think outside the box. Mm. So I think that's one thing that we've gotten and, and will continue to be a, a strong skill in the workforce, no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, it's like in saying everybody's got the you know, the Alexas, and I've got an Alexa that runs the whole room now, which saves a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. I, I love using it, especially with the 3D printer work that I do, then I'm able to track it down to how much it's going to cost for the client and what I'm working on, so I can break it down part-wise of how much material and everything costs. And everybody's like, oh, well, I, I don't like having a computer in my system. It's like, well, she really doesn't do everything I want her to do. It's really hard. You have to make an API, and I have to go down the whole list of what you have to do to make it work. They think yeah. it's just point and click. I'm like, no, it's, it's you know... Like man, I mean, it's like three D printing. You just can't buy a three D printer and expect it to work. You can't. You have to like literally research the filaments and what's going to work for you. It's a lot of trial and error. Hopefully, you have a notebook next to you because it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, you know, it's all point click. Yeah. And like I said, the the AI. Like I was at McDonald's the other day and I saw the AI thing, and then the person came up and she wanted to talk to me, and I said, oh. I'm going to make it real quick here because, like, um, you guys look busy, which they were. I was like, I think about a team of 16 in the McDonald's yeah. that I was in. But I ended up giving, using the kiosk instead of going to talk to the person, and I just handed her my receipt. And I was just like, oh, I'm order number 514 of the day, you know. And she was like, well, I, I'm right here, hon. And they have now where you can actually walk into the McDonald's. I think it was on Kirkman Road here in, in Orlando, and then you can walk okay. in and... Um, they bring your food to you if you don't want to like stand there. They'll actually do take a number off the off the thing and sit down, and they know exactly what number you're in. So it's like, oh, you're you know, number one. So you you can sit wherever you want, and they look for it, and boom, you're done. Which I thought that That's was cool. more. It's more for them, to, and it gives them more time to clean and talk with you. Yeah. And I uh, I thought it was good. I didn't feel underwhelmed or overwhelmed by the employee. I thought that was kind of cool that I can either talk with them or you know if they're busy, I can actually take my time and make the order the way I'd like it. And there were, That's great. Of, there were a lot of things on the menu that I didn't even know they had. And the guy came over hmm. and he's like, oh, there's a lot more stuff. Like, you can have, 
because I'm a high protein guy. I want like I, I weight lift and stuff like that. And need some more protein for the day. I didn't know they made like eggs for the day, so I was like, oh, I want, which kind of screwed them up, um, <laughs> company wise, because they didn't know. <laughs> so I go and I find eggs, and I'm like, oh, there's eggs. I can put I can put that on my my chicken sandwich for more protein. And get, it, the, get the whole barnyard on there. Oh, dude, I, I did it insanely. <laughs> like, the manager comes up, she's like, honey, your order's going to take a little bit longer. We didn't know you wanted eggs. Like, it said it on the computer, but they're like, we have to, like, literally break that out for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, cool. I'll wait. You know, she's like, do you want anything? Do you want an extra thing drink or whatever? I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. Like, wow. I really want, I need something high protein. I didn't know you guys made it until I spotted it on the, the interior menu. She's like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. that thing has everything on it. We have to make it. If you request it, which is, I'm glad, you know, it's like, so you can't like, you'll see the menu above here, but you're looking at the employee going, my standard order will be a number six or, you know, whatever. Being able to like look at that and go, okay, I want something different for health, health, you know, reasons or whatever. I think it's a really, really cool idea for them. Yeah. Do they deserve the $15? I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it, it seems neat that, um, you know, that, that they're using the technology to enhance the workforce and enhance your experience, and then you, there. I, I don't think there'll ever be a good substitution for human interaction. No, I think you know, we need that. It's it is it's a critical part of who we are, just as people. I think that's very important. And you know, to what extent it depends on the person. Some people want, you know, tons of it, and some people are like, yeah, you leave, know, I'm, I'm good by myself most of the time, uh, <laughs> which is you know, it's 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 fine. But I, I don't think. That we'll ever really get away from that too far. No, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's Amazon Prime, and I, I like to order stuff from there. I Hell like to, yeah. you know, get stuff delivered. But there's something else about just going to the store and picking out one or two things, or chatting with the cashier or, or whomever. Yeah, I love going to like a, like a, not like a Target, or I like actually seeing the product and being able to hold it. And especially when you're trying to build, like you said, you were trying to build a, you know, whiteboard, and you're like, I love just getting there and looking at ways to do it for cheaply yeah you know i could go to amazon and buy the board however for budgetary costs i can go in and do this and this and save more money sure yeah at the end have like a product that i'm going to use for a little bit and be able to recycle it or what have you yeah is this really what i want let me let me go look at it and make sure before i buy it exactly most people they don't measure too and it's like amazon i was talking to one of their um, customer service people who was remote and i said hey man I, i i did order i did measure it However, it was like off. Apparently, it was defective or something. And the guy goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, you did right. It was. He goes, yeah. You're not the only person that measured it correctly. And he goes, yeah. We talked to the manufacturer for you. So they're like, they have to deal with all that. But it's like it's nice going in to measure thing and then like cut it into with your own. And it's that satisfaction of making it yourself sometimes, which yeah, is beautiful. Exactly. Which people don't understand about 3D printing. Like, oh, I could just buy that wheel. You could, but it doesn't exist. I can yeah. wait, I can go to China and buy it from China, but it would take me uh, three months to get it. Yeah. But I can just speaking of, oh, sorry, speaking of three D printing, have you heard about Adam Savage's? Uh, I have. I thought it was. Yeah. I watched Star Talk the other night. Uh, for those who don't know, that is, I uh, went on YouTube and uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson has his own his own podcast on YouTube and stuff like that. And they were talking about the Iron Man suit that he built, which I haven't clicked on the article and read, but apparently, like he. They were able, I think GE uses it or whatever, and they're able to like micro thin pieces of titanium. And they're yeah. talking about like, holy hell. I was like, I knew about it from a friend who works in um, uh, airplanes. He works with uh, works with Boeing. And he was like, okay. yeah, dude, he's like, I, I do like, they do like blades and they do this. He goes, what you're doing is, it's 
home automation, but like we do is bigger. And he's like, you're, you're not far off. He's like, what you're yeah. doing is perfect because it's home. It's you're testing it out first. And then you send it out to them to, to get the iteration bigger. You know, I'm like, whoa, which is super badass. I there was the a, uh, suit, but. I, I went and watched it because there was a, there was a, like an article in the newspaper here in Denver. And it said that the Colorado School of Mines had 3D printed a titanium Iron Man suit. And I was like, what? Yeah. And so I went online and watched it. And then they get this CEO of that company that he uses like the jetpacks on his arms. Yeah. And he, he flies around. Have you seen that guy? Yeah, it's insane. I was like, he's going to fall into the water. Nope. He just no. right around. So like- they, they suit him up in that thing. And he's flying. He's kind of like flying around in this Iron Man suit, man. It is. It's it is unreal. I saw it on Facebook, and I was like, I saw like the iterations of like the hand things, and I'm like, it's got a hell of a lot of thrust, and I'm like, okay, this has got to be like Photoshop. No, it's it's real. It literally throws yeah. sticks him in the air, and he flies around. I'm like, that is insane. What the applications could be for, I have no idea. Yeah. Like I'm like, this could be for like you know search and rescue. This could be for like, I I don't know. You better have dang you better have dang good balance though, because if you get if you get tilted one way or the other and you come falling down, that's not gonna feel. Good. That's gonna feel pretty. I mean, you got you got about 30, 40 feet off the ground. You don't think that's yeah. high, but when you come down, it's that's full body weight, and you're just oh yeah, that's pavement or water. I mean, I saw him going over the water, and I'm guessing that's why he did it over water. It's better just to fall in the water because you can easily just float in buoyance, but a yeah. pavement or, or wood or what have you in traffic. I mean, that would, that would kill mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Just, just don't belly flop in that water. Oh, hell no. 30 feet. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought it was really bad. I saw, like, I heard it on Star yeah. Talk, and I got to listen to it a little bit. But he was talking about, like, how they were able to 3D print it and change the molecular structure to, like, make it stronger because of the infill and stuff like that. And I was like, ooh. I knew a lot of this stuff exists. It's just the pricing of cost yeah. for a lot of companies to use it. It's like the one machine I was looking at, which is the Carbon One, which is one of the fastest... 3D printed resin printers that they use for um, re- research for uh, GE and, and a lot of automakers. Um, that printer alone is like, I think they said like $60,000 just to lease. And then the resin is about about $6,000. So you yeah. can't own it. You have to lease it. And I'm like, whoa, $60,000. Wow. And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, this is what people are like, they can't bring it. I've been to like a huge auto show with all the 3D printers and people that are using it for medical purposes and what yeah. I'm using it for. And it's super, super expensive. And you realize why the bills are so high. You're like, that's titanium. Well, that titanium leg there, you know, runs you about, you know, two to $3,000. And you're like, oof. Yeah. It's just a, just a small barrier to entry. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you're like, uh, can I just, like, mold that out of a mold? And that's why, like, a lot of 3D printing stuff that I do, like, a lot of the prop makers that I use, they use it for, like, molding and, like, the masks that I print for them. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are sculptors. And they're like, well... I can do this in sculpt, but I'd rather like do it digitally, and then because I can make multi molds of it, and then they can get stuff yeah. out to the cosplayers, etc. Um, but yeah, some freaking amazing. And with me, it's like I want to make stuff for disability because I'm having cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. It's like the crutch tips and the hand grips. The hand grips I've talked with NinjaFlex, which is the company I talk with a lot uh, for their filament because they used to be a cardball company, and then they went into 3D printing, and they're like, huh? And I hit them up expecting a no, expecting a huge no. And they were like, no, like, what, what do you want you to go with this? And I'm like, my goal is to make hand grips or crutch tips because I'm tired of going to Amazon. I'm tired of looking for the right crutch because a lot of companies that make medical equipment are go, either going out of business or they're shipping it over to China and they're, and they're kind of losing their um, their prototyping ways of like, hey, like this this worked for me or for somebody else and now they're getting rid of it. Yeah. And you're like, I can't find that part anymore. So then you have to go into 3D, 3D CAD modeling or fusion and design it. And then you can, you know, 
especially giving to people who are in need, who are not making a lot of money, or yeah. who are desperately in need of a crutch or something. And you know, the quality I think is a is a challenge too when you start. You know, yeah, you're reducing down. expenses. You get lo- you get yeah. lesser quality. The pair that I bought now are thirty four dollars. I had to buy a new pair of aluminum crutches, and I got okay. those within like two days off Amazon. And I don't like the arm cuffs because I like them to grip a little bit more than my forearms because they're what they call as forearm crutches. Be a little bit different. It kind of gives me a little more uh, leeway to kind of like grip more into corners and stuff like that. And I was like, I like the original ones that they had because the cuffs were a little more thicker and they're a little more bendable, so you can kind of get that more security. And somebody goes, Why do you like that? I said, Well, I think it's mental, obviously, but it makes me feel a little more secure when I'm on the run or I'm on the go. For people who use crutches like I do. and they don't build them like they I keep something they don't build them like they used to because like when you crutch I mean I, I run through City Walk or I run to like, you know, a concert. Friends are taking off on two feet, I gotta keep up with them. You know, and I'm like, Oh man, I gotta I gotta run twice as fast like a damn giraffe. <laughs> They call it they call it the Ali Gallop pretty much. Everybody calls it it's like grr, grr. everybody records it and laughs. They're like, Oh, there he goes, there goes the unicorn. There he goes. The little giraffe. Nice. <laughs> and I start rolling and laughing. But I mean it's it's consideration of like you have to like build it yourself and then and make it work. But being it, making it affordable for those yeah. who, who can't afford it and maybe you can donate a few because you can write it up in your taxes, so it's either way you it's a win win for your company. And the mm-hmm. same thing if you are, you are like, well, I don't want to donate it because I don't really get anything. It's like, no, you can write it off as a tax expense. So all the work you put into it, you can get a little bit back from it. So and yeah. get more people into it. But yeah, it's that's one reason why we got into, you know, I got into three D printing. People like, oh, you just do it for that? No, I, I make a lot of props and I make a lot of money from it to pay for a lot of the equipment yeah. that I'm using. But in the end, it teaches me a lot of how what the what the the cost and then what it can and can't do, and then you know what the Material is another thing. I do a lot of R&D research on that because material is constantly changing and then a lot of companies are getting a little more slacky on what filaments are good, what are bad. You have carbon fiber, you have nylon, you have flexible, you have... Everybody's like, oh, you have carbon fiber? I'm like, yeah, I do, but there's a lot of carbon fibers that are bad. They don't make them properly. There's not enough carbon in them. Yeah. Now. And that's what I'm working with next is carbon fiber and it's trying to hire a company now that... I had a company hit me up on Twitter the other day, and I'm not going to mention the name because I want to blast them, but they're an up-and-coming company, and I talked to them from China, and uh, they mentioned to me, like, oh, would you like to use our stuff, or would you like to be, would you like to be your supplier? And I said, well, if you're using carbon fiber, yes. And I saw that the prices were pretty good, about $15 a roll. However, okay. that doesn't translate into good quality, so I'm just like, hmm, I should kind of wait. Maybe I should ask for like sure. a test sample. Because um, my average cost on filament, guys, is about $18 to $20, which is pretty good. But the filament that I use is uh, really, really well. It's, it's company is really good. It's made in America. It's really clean. Not saying other companies make it wrong. Persa is one of the good ones that they actually test their own filament. And once you get it from the factory, they actually scan it. So you actually know what the diameters were and how clean it actually is. So they, they're really picky on their on their filament. It, that's the great. Price and cost is what you get from Persa, but it is what it is. I mean, you're going to get some good. And that's why I do a lot of R&D research from the com- my company because it's just like, hey, man, like let's. Put it online so you guys don't have to keep tracking now what is being used nowadays, which I'm starting mm-hmm. to do now and taking notes and like, okay, this is what the, what the printer likes to run it as. This is what I would recommend. In the end, hopefully it turns into a little bit of profit for me and gets a lot of companies looking at me so I can make a little bit of something back from them or oh, no, who knows. Sure. We'll see where she goes. Yeah. One step at a time. And, you know, it's just one step at a time. But I do want to get the only, only way to do it, right? <laughs> pretty much, it's called R and D research for a reason. Yeah. Which somebody yeah. asked me when they're like, "What's the R and D research?" I'm like, it's "What a lot of companies aren't doing." Yeah. Sadly, but I do want to get talking into your uh, Terminator days. I didn't know you were John Connor. 
Yeah. From Japan. Yeah. You brought it up a couple times. I wanted to, people are going to kill me if I don't talk about it with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess prior, prior to, and, and I'll give you a little bit of the backstory since we've been talking about, you know, how long it takes to get things done and that sort of thing. In fifth grade, my, my goal, my dream job was to be a stuntman. So that's fifth, fifth grade. I was talking about, Oh, when I grow up, I want to be a stuntman. I want to go out and do stunts and this sort this sort of thing. And I met this guy who owned a bookstore and I was talking to him about stunts and how I wanted to do stunts. And I was in martial arts started when I was four. Yeah. Uh, this guy was a Kung Fu master quite literally. <laughs> um, so he had, he had trained with, uh, Kung Fu masters. This guy was amazing. And he had owned a bookstore and I, you know, I was training with him and we were talking about, you know, the future and that sort of thing. And this, he was, I think he was probably about, about, you know, 30 or so years older than me, 40 years older than me, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I told him I wanted to do stunts and he's like, well, I actually have a book that lists all the stunt coordinators and, and all this out in Hollywood. So I was like, yes. He's like, you want to borrow it? I was like, yes, I would love to borrow it. So I was probably about 18 uh, and, I, and I called and or emailed every single stunt coordinator on that list. Oh, wow. And got no's all the way down the board. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, you know, what, what's next? And um, because I had been a competitive martial artist for, you know, since five years old, I said, well, you know, let me, let me keep honing my craft and keep perfecting my skill. And maybe that'll kind of create a window for me to do stunts or something. So I started going back to competitions, did some local theater where I kind of did some, uh, very basic type stunt work, uh, uh, you know, for a local theater, local plays, did a couple (laughs) of plays. Um, got to start somewhere. (laughs) You do got to start somewhere. I, I actually got a video that I have and man, my, one of my buddies came and watched and still teases me about it. So we'll just leave it at that. But I mean, it is what it is. We'll never see the light of day here, sadly. Uh, so after doing some competitions, I had, I had, uh, I went to world championships in Vegas and, and that was, uh, televised and it was a pro-am competition. And I got there and Man, I sure made an ass of myself the first time around. I did, I did so bad because I just, I didn't know what I, I had just jumped in the deep end to be honest. Yeah. And so, I, so I, I saw what some of these guys were doing. Who later, uh, one of the guys is in Martial Law, the the TV series, and I had no idea who he was. I was chatting with him afterward, and you know, he's a, he was really good. And yeah. I, since, since then, I saw him on Sprite commercials and stuff. I was like, I know that guy. I know that dude. <laughs> So I spent the next year, um, basically all of my free time was training and, you know, working and, and perfecting my craft. And, and I'm saying quite literally three to four hours at least every day. Um, went back the next year and, and competed again and, and placed uh, fifth in, in one category and seventh in the other. And they gave out the certificates declaring you a world champion if you were in the top seven. So I got two. I was like, yes, uh, but never quite had the ego to call myself a world champion. I'm like, I placed fifth. I mean, if fifth place is fifth place. So, yeah. uh, But I was really excited that I that competing against the caliber of people who I was competing against, I mean, I felt amazing about fifth place. Uh, 
continued, you know, working on that. And I think three or four months later, I was at nationals, uh, competing at a, at a national competition and I placed second. Oh, wow. And so that was, you know, I was continually honing and continually perfecting. And, uh, I saw this opportunity for stunt performers. There was an audition in Salt Lake city. Okay. And they had been to Salt Lake city before and I didn't see them the previous year. And they said that because they hadn't gotten anybody last year, this was the last year that they were going to go oh, to, wow. to Salt Lake City. So, I mean, really another one of those situations where the preparation, the opportunity met. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. And so uh, I, I went to the audition for street stunt performers. Or was it street performers? It was the audition right. for st- yeah. street performers. And I, I was like, I don't know what any of this is. I'm just going to go to I'm both auditions. See what happened. <laughs> Take the wheel, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so I went to the street performers, and there was a bunch of uh, actors and stuff there. And I would not consider myself an actor because um, I'm not very good. Uh, and so I just did my routine that I did at nationals, and and they were like, "Wow, okay, uh, you know, th- like that's amazing. We want our stunt performer to see our stunt uh, coordinator to see you. Can you come back tomorrow?" And yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I was I was planning on it anyway." So they're like, okay, okay. So I went through the whole uh, stunt audition the next day, and um, then they, there was kind of a break, and they said, when we come back, if you have a martial arts routine, you know, we'd welcome you to, to go ahead and do it. Mm. So a couple of guys got up before me. They did their routines. I got up there, uh, and what was funny was the stunt coordinator said, hey, you know, I've been in martial arts for over 10 years, so there's not much that, that – you're going to show me that's yeah, going to impress well, I haven't me. Seen. So don't don't try to impress me. I was like, well, I mean, <laughs> way to encourage me, sir. I was like, well, I'm I'm not going to try to impress anybody, but um, you know, in addition to karate, my background included uh, tumbling and uh, did capoeira for a while. And if you don't know what that is, it's a very acrobatic, in some senses, uh, martial arts style. So a lot of that was incorporated in my routine. Yeah. Um, and afterward, he said wow, what, what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, karate do you train in? And he's asking me questions and I was like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like for me, I felt like great about that. And, (laughs) and, um, during that time I was a carpet cleaner, that was my job. So, you know, you got to start somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so I basically after that went back to work and, and almost forgot about it. And then I got a call two, three months later inviting me to Japan to, to do John Connor as in the Terminator. What? Like, so it just happened and, out of the freaking blue. Yeah. So I, I didn't know at the time that I was going anywhere with it. And, and I, I felt good about the audition. And I was like, oh, you know, like there's, there's a notch in your belt. There's an experience. Um, but then when they're the, – yeah, it was just so surreal. And they're like, yeah, we'd like you to come out to Japan and we're going to pay for your ticket. I'm like, what? They're like, wow. So, you like, know, you just had to find lodging. Th- they provided lodging. Oh, wow. So I was like, what? Uh, it, it was just unreal. Um, and that, that was my first time, like, moving away from home. And I was 20. So, uh, you know, just an amazing, amazing experience and the, the caliber of people. Uh, Quick story is once we got there, I didn't know what I was going to be doing. They yeah. said, you, you do John Connor and the Terminator. I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. I don't know what that means, but I'll do it. Okay. And then uh, the so, 
Yeah. So uh, we're training in this offsite gym, and we go up to this tower that's about uh, 20 feet. Oh, wow. And I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. What? <laughs> so they put me on this tower, and I'm looking down like, I don't know about this, guys. And they're like, yeah, hurry up. You got to get, get this handled because tomorrow we're going to twice this height. And I was like, twice this height? Is that even possible? Like, that's, <laughs> like this is really high. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, actually, it's more than twice this height. So you, you really got to get this down. So I was like knees shaking and I, I do the rappel. I practice the rappel. And then we go up to the, to the catwalk and it's, that, uh, it's like that steel grate that has the, the triangles or diamonds in it all through. So you can see down. Yeah. So I'm walking across this grate on the, you know, the next day for like the real training. And I'm like holding on to the handrail <laughs> as I walk on the catwalk. I'm like, oh my god! I would have never thought you'd be scared of fighting. You were very confident. So, so it, it took me uh, a couple months to, to like feel more confident doing that. But it, you know, there's always a, a little bit of nerves before the show and you're looking down. I think it was like 46 feet or something like that. There, Terminator was, I think uh, John Connor was... 30, 34, 39, and then Sarah was like 30? I think they said... Yeah, I, th- I think the dimensions were were uh, similar to that. I, I don't remember the exact... It was, yeah, it I, was yeah, high, I though. It was like 38 on John and 31 on Sarah. I might be completely wrong. I, I'd have to go back and, and look at the schematics or something, but it was high. Yeah, it I was asked, really I high. Of technicians over at Terminator. I'm like, so what are the drops? He was like, it says... And I was like, okay. That's still when I would drop into a crowd. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I did that, and and uh, from that, um, after that, I went over and did some training in in uh, Australia. I trained in Australia for about five weeks, uh, doing a whole bunch of different other stunt work, and then did some did some shows in uh, Texas and Arizona. And then did some uh, some commercial work for some local stuff, and and uh, you know, really, it was just a neat experience, but. You know, in between the highlights, there was a lot of hard work along each step of yeah. the way. Um, but, you know, my, my goal after doing the, you know, getting to, to Japan was I wanted to do some commercial work and, um, you know, be on TV. Uh, so I got to do that. I was in a, the 2007 Chick-fil-A calendar. Uh, I mean, of course, you're not going to notice it's me because <laughs> they just used me as the body for uh, to superimpose the cow over. Uh, so I got to ride around on a horse in a fat suit. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, it was really cool just to have a variety of those different experiences and, and um, you know, not not looking for the end result, but just looking like, you know, those milestones or those That was one hell of those points. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. Like, how was Japan? Like, when you finally got over there, was it like, you, did you get to explore? Like, how long did you stay with uh, Japan? So I was in Japan for a year and seven months. And uh, the first three months were really awesome. And, you know, we got to, because the way that our, our shows were, they were back-to-back. I think they were on, like, 25-minute cycles yeah. or 20-minute cycles. Um, so we were just cranking out shows. And we would, only, we would only do, like, eight to ten shows a day as a performer because there was, you know, they didn't want to wear us out and, and that sort of thing. So we'd work. We'd be at work for maybe three or four hours um, really crank out our shows and then leave. So I, I definitely took the opportunity to like get out and explore, learn the culture. Yeah. And, and the first three months were awesome. And then it got hard because it got real, you know, the, the novelty wore off and, 
Uh, I couldn't ask for directions and I didn't really know what I was buying when I was shopping from, you know, when I went to the grocery store. And so the, you know, the next probably about three months were, were a little rough. And I said, just said, Hey, I, you know, I'm here, I've committed to this and I'm going to learn some Japanese. So I started just every opportunity I got listening for like what people are saying and any kind of words that I thought I heard often, I would write down in a little notebook. Oh, wow. I was, you know, studying the Japanese, uh, studying Japanese in one of my books and trying to, trying to learn how to read so I could read stuff and kind of like figure out what does this mean. And I mean, back then what, they, didn't, they didn't have freaking like Google Translate. You could just take a phone, you know, literally yeah. your phone and it reads it for you. And it'll read it for you. Yeah, that, that would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really cool experience to get to know the language and to make friends in the local community and uh, I trained, I did karate out there. I, I went to a karate school and I trained there for about a year. Oh, wow. Um, How was that? So that was cool. It was, uh, it was, they were a little bit, um, the, in, the instructor had been to America and he said, you know, like they were a little bit rougher with the students and he's, he'd, he'd look at me and every now and again and say like, you can't do this in America, huh? And I was like, nope, nope. you sure can't. Nope, you can't get people. And it wasn't anything that was really, you know, over the top, but, you know, they were a little bit more contact heavy. Yeah, rubber on the uh, edges. Yeah, yeah. And so they, I think the interaction was a little bit more realistic if you were practicing martial arts. But definitely some of it, you know, you in the States, you, you might worry about a lawsuit or something like that. Oh, wow. But, uh, well, now it is. Because nobody wants to be hit or, or anything like that. And, uh, a little bit of old school approach, I, I guess, would be the best way to explain it. Oh, that's, and, uh, yeah, that's really cool experience, though. Sounds about right. Lawsuit nowadays, and people now with BP, you know, PC. Don't hit my yeah. son like that. It's like, well, that's called life, madam. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, really cool, really just really neat people, and and it's it was interesting just to experience a culture that's so different from ours because we come at the perspective of if it's not fun, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And they have a little bit more of a theory of like work is work and play is play, and those are different. Oh, very so much the, so, yeah. Us from the Western culture, we're like, yeah, let's play at work, let's have a good time, let's make it fun. And so there's a little bit of a culture clash at the beginning, but really need to to see how, you know, once you're part of the team, like you are part of the team, and there is no breaking that. And so even people that I thought maybe didn't like me, when it was time for me to go and they're crying, I thought, wow, like, gosh, this is, this is pretty, pretty meaningful that somebody that I thought didn't like me, I was yeah. trying to get to like me, actually did like me the whole that time or me, at yeah, least some point. That happened to me. I left for a little bit from the company and I came back. Everybody was just, I had a basket like two weeks later and people were notes and people were like, they couldn't say it. I'm like, why can't you just say it? They're like, well, yeah. I thought you were leaving for good. I was like, no, I'm just taking a hiatus. Um, for mental reasons, and I, you know, really, that's that's beautiful that you know the, the cast and you know people you don't realize you know actually care. They care. Yeah. You know, it's like wow. Yeah. So I, you know, I think that's neat, and I th- I think some one of the things I took from that is just let people know that you appreciate them as as you go. I mean, that's something that I've learned to do is just let people know if they're making an impact. Who doesn't like to to know that they're yeah, appreciated yeah. or that they're meaningful? It happened to somebody the other day and they said hey i listened to your podcast and it actually was really good like keep at keep at it and i'm like 
You know, that really does mean a lot. Like, it's it's nothing. They're like, no, but it seems like something you enjoy. You know, it seems like you start, yeah. you're having a good time and keep at it. You know, most people don't have the balls to jump in front of a microphone and a camera, you know. And, sure. and that takes confidence, a lot of confidence. It seems yeah. like you're very confident when you talk in front of guests or people or customer service. You're very confident. And I went, no, thanks, thanks for the insight. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have noticed that, like, that's a good point. A lot of people are are nervous. Like you turn, you talk to somebody and they're fine. You turn the camera on and it's like I've had that something something kind of shits and they're like, oh. I've had that a lot. We've had a really good conversation one day with somebody and I said, hey, I'm turning the cameras on. Uh, I'm just gonna get flowing and then we'll, they stuttered. They stopped. I said, listen, this is just a conversation between you and I. No one can see us. We're not live streaming it. We're, you know, but yeah. And it, after a few minutes, they, they relaxed. Their laughter started coming out. And then they called me after the end of it, and they said, "Can we do it again?" And I said, "Okay, cool." Cool. I said, "I, I didn't know it would be that that interesting or intriguing." I said, "Well, that's what it is. It's fun." So when you yeah, read, oh, go ahead. Uh, I just I was gonna chime in. I said I read something uh, somewhere that said like the the top fear of most people is public speaking. Stage fright. I and then number two is death. And I thought, oh, my gosh. It's true, though, because it's like, speaking public to die? It. Well, it's like when you're in front of a huge meeting, it's like a thousand people. And you're like, I think I broke that. Uh, I went, I did a lot of acting and a lot of theatrical work and stuff like that. So I kind of had to be in front of crowds. And granted, it's only 60 people, but everybody is on your lingering word. Lights on you. Mm-hmm. And then when you work for a huge you know, theme park, you have a thousand people. You need to explain you know, in a crowd, like, what's going on? It's like, okay, folks, I need you folks to go here. I need you folks to go here. Your stage fright better go in, like, two seconds. You just kind of, ugh. You remember just, yeah. you know, think of yourself in your underwear. That doesn't really work that way because you're in a suit. But uh, <laughs> at the same time, it's like, well, this isn't motivation. I don't know what is. Yeah. You know, but oh, my goodness. So when you finally left Japan and you finally, you know, when that was all said and done, and did, how did the Australia gig come up and stuff? So Australia, I actually just uh, took myself out there. There was a training facility, and so I, I said, uh, man, you know, I'd like to try to make a career of this. And, and uh, I had heard a lot of good things. And a, a, lot, of the, a lot of the Australian performers had kind of come through uh, and done some stuff with, um, with the training facility out in Australia. Mm-hmm. So I went, you know, I went out there, spent five weeks out there, did all the training, uh, met some really awesome guys uh, that, are, that have – uh, at least one of them who I know has got an awesome stunt career now. It's like really neat to see where he was when we met mm. and how like where this guy progressed. was kind of kind of a shy, pretty reserved guy. And, you know, I've seen him on, on – uh, I actually saw him on a preview for a movie and I messaged him like, dude, I, I just <laughs> saw you on, the, on a oh, preview awesome. for a – it was for Deadpool. I was like, man, this is awesome. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so went out there, did the training, uh, and then came back to the States. Was that like kind of a big transition after being from Japan to Australia and then back to the States? Was it like, holy crap, like, did you have more respect for being an American? Or was it like, man, we really do things bad here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really interesting just to learn the different, um, the different ways. And, and uh, in Australia, they have a very... Uh, almost i would say like almost unionized and and not like uh here in the states we've got sag which is the screen actors guild which yeah. is a union but the way that that's handled is very different like in australia to work in stunts you have to like start off being a you know uh and this isn't that exact so it's just kind of off a of memory of over 10 years ago 
but uh, in essence, you've got to like go on and be an extra so many times, and then go do like very uh, small. Kind of the bottom. That uh, that's wild. So you you have to meet criteria before you can move to the next step, which I think like that is an awesome way to do it. Yeah, because then you have well, more and, respect for everybody in the roles. Yeah, you have more respect. It also, um, you know, kind of takes some of. There's always going to be like politics and relationships and stuff in in business. But I think, you know, it kind of removes some barriers because you get to know people along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, while in the States, it's it's a lot about like if a stunt coordinator pulls you on the set and, set, you know, that you know and has you do some stuff as to whether or not you get union. So there's kind of a little bit of like a catch-22 in the States with mm-hmm. how to how to get mm-hmm. on. You have, you have to, you know, be a union to get on or you have to like, you know, kind of go through a different process. Uh, so I really appreciated the way that their structure was uh, for performers uh, af- after learning more about it, being in Australia, having having some friends who I had met in Japan who were, you know, they left about the same time I did and uh, were like very well-versed stunt folks that uh, were, were kind of the guys I looked up to mm-hmm. who, had, who had really done some big stuff. Um, so coming back, it was just like, seeing the difference and just kind of like trying to figure out where to go from here. Uh, because there wasn't a, like, I didn't know anybody before I went to Japan of, you know, what does that path look like and what do you do and how do you go about uh, getting more work? Um, so then coming back and just trying to figure it out, go, I, I was in back in Utah. So I drove out to California a few times for auditions. Mm. Uh, I'd even gone out to universal and auditioned, uh, back in 2004 and got offered the role of John Connor again. I was like, yeah, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was an odd call role. So I was like, gosh, I just can't move to Florida. No, I need, yeah, I need the money. Yeah. You don't know. You don't know where you're going to gonna get pulled when you're going to be working yeah. or what you got to do. So, uh, so just kind of like, I guess again, just kind of learned as I went and had a few opportunities. Some of them I went for, some of them I passed up on, uh, can't say that I would do it different now because I appreciate where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I could see that it would probably be, have been a different outcome. Mm-hmm. When so you when you finally when did you start going to school? Like when it was like finally I, I know it's stunt work and I'm just this is what I wanted. But I kind of did you did that kind of translate into what you do now? It did. Um, so as I was as I was in Arizona doing some some more theme park work, you know, there's just kind of a lot of pounding your body every day Mm -hmm. and uh, a couple of guys i know had hurt themselves and pretty pretty severely that and they were only a handful of years older than me and i kind of thought like gosh i better find a real job (laughs) uh, yeah you know like i i love this and and i don't know that this is something that could continue long term so i had uh kind of told my boss like you know i think i want to go back to school so i don't know that i'm going to be renewing my contract and um, didn't at the time didn't know what I wanted to go to school for. Mm-hmm. So I'd reached out to some people I'd, you know, worked with and knew that were, you know, in HR and, uh, reached out to the VP from Universal Japan and just asked them like, what did your career path look like? Can you share that with me? And this, I mean, this is like an awesome leader. So this guy's in Japan. I email him just to ask him a couple of questions yeah. and he's like, how, how about we set up a call? Whoa! <laughs> so he called me from Japan, 
And he spent at least 30 minutes to 40 minutes on the phone with me. That's awesome. You know, sharing his path, sharing some insights, um, you know, providing some suggestions and, you know, also discussing how the world has changed since he went through his <laughs> process. Uh, I was just blown away with, with that generosity of, I mean, here's this guy, uh, a VP at a huge company overseas, and he's willing to give me some insight, some insight, 30 minutes of 30 or so minutes of his time when there's really not anything in it for him. No. Uh, so that was, that really made an impression. So just kind of like seeing what other people have done. Um, I, w- I was the first in my family to, to go through the college process. Oh, wow. So, you know, again, a new adventure of what, what do you do and how do you do it? Yeah. Um, and, and so I, just as I got, got through the process and started learning more and, and heard about certain certain things that I was thinking about and then learned about this uh, program of organizational behavior and how we start to look at behavior and, and processes and motivation and things like that, which really interested me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of just started me on that path and I just kept following it and, uh, you know, just finding little areas to try to make improvements or learn and grow um, just as a person. That's amazing. Like, that's cool as hell that he actually took time out of his, like, I think you're kind of wrong. I think he knew what he was doing and it's kind of like, it's like, let me at least impart something on someone because like, maybe he was in his road, like he said, probably down the road, he, he didn't get that advice or. Sure. They don't realize like one person can change your whole entire perspective of something and how yeah. gracious that person becomes. Sure. Because I've had it with like VPs of like 3D printing companies and they're like, hey man, like don't get, we're not telling you to give up. You know, just take your time. Our yeah. door is always here. And I was like, I felt so like pissed, but so thankful that yeah. they didn't treat me like a goddamn customer. They treated me like a person. It's saying, like, yeah. listen, here's your goal. Here's your idea. But, um, you know, like take your time. Like we're not going anywhere. Our door is always here. You know, we can't mm-hmm. say we want to talk to you now, but like later, we'll talk to you later. Yeah. We'll see you later. And it's like, you know, and don't lose our email. Here's our phone number. And I'm like that meant more to me than like yeah you're not ready yet you know we're not ready to deal sure. with you yet because we because we don't know what to do with you and one guy said he goes we really don't know what to do with you yet we see what you're working okay. towards but the problem is like our technology isn't where you would you, you would want it and i'm like oh. that's amazing like, he's mm, like he's that's like, good feedback he's like we we would love to help you by all means but resin printing like i wanted to get into resin printing or crutch chips and he goes um We'd love to help you. We've been trying to reach out for this for days and months, and you were very sweet in your, what you're doing, and we, we love that you're doing it. The problem is, it's like, it's a lot of cost. And, like, we don't think going down this path is going to help you or anybody else. Like, it's just too cost-effective. He's like, it's going to cost you way too much to research. It's going to cost you, and he, he broke it down. And I was like, dude, thank you. You're the first person to step in. And this was from uh, the Moai company. I'll say who they are, the Moai, uh, Moai printers from... Um, Matter Hackers, they're one of the probably another biggest printer companies, and I'm trying to hit them up. And they're Poly, I forget the name, the name of the company, but they do the Moai printer, and they were just super, super sweet. I hit them up on Twitter, hit them up on Instagram. I'm like, how can I get in contact with you guys? And they're like, we just make the printer, we don't sell it. We go to this company, uh, Matter Hackers, and then you got to deal with that. Okay. And so I talk with them directly, and they're like, listen, you know, we'd love to help you, but the problem is like we we. we we love that you broke down what you wanted to do with it. However, we don't see it as being cost effective. 
and just prototyping with it and testing with it is so much money and for the space you're working in it's not going to be it's going to smell like shit <laughs> Uh, it's just gonna cost you so much. Fuck. And, the, and the guy broke you. Like it's gonna cost you. It's gonna smell like shit. It's probably gonna poison you. It's, he just broke it all down. He goes, "Listen, we love you. We really. The whole team here is cheering you on. That's awesome. But right now, we, we just don't see it being effective. It's it's mm-hmm. and it's like we'd love to help you. It's just so much money. At the same time, it's not gonna give you any benefit. Yeah, you're not gonna succeed going through us. Keep working at it." And then when you yeah, gotta appreciate that honesty, man. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I wrote them back. I was like, thank you so fucking much for taking your time and explaining it because I was getting frustrated. And he was like, you're welcome. And he's like, we're here. Our door's open. Don't be afraid to ask yeah. questions. And I was like, well, most people don't want to talk. I wrote, I said, dude, I'm getting so flustered because I've been trying to contact you guys and just get an answer. And most people <clears> tell <throat> me no, and I'm not scared of no. I'm scared of, yeah. Can I at least try? Can I at least give yeah. me my my rundown of why I'm getting a hold of you? Why I'm fucking kicking your phone consistently because I want to know. You know, instead of being... Uh, and that should go in life for anybody. If you're trying to, like, somebody keeps knocking on your door, it's probably for a reason like that, you know? They probably yeah. want your feedback. And then it's like, wait, the way you went down and talked to this guy, even though you think you said it, you know, he he it was nothing for, them, for him. It probably was because it's like, yeah. he could see you growing. He could see you as an individual. <laughs> and you made the effort to get a hold of him. And like, hey, yeah. what, what's your insight? And then he was like, yeah, man, let me let me try. Let me... uh." Let me do something with this kid, you know, at least get him like, guidance. Yeah, I feel like that for me gave uh, a good lesson because it's like, you know, when we when we're on the outside looking in or, or we're looking up, you know, we operate in this, you know, kind of uh, manufactured structure, mm-hmm. you know, different societal structures or business structures. And really, at the end of, end of the day, we're all just people trying to figure out our own path and and there's nobody who's been through the whole process there's and perfected no, and it. I've said it in many other podcasts there's no you know there's no recipe for success. No. There's there's no right answer and you you know I think you you look on Instagram or Facebook and you see these people like oh I'll teach you exactly how to do it and nope. it just just because it worked for them doesn't mean it's going to work for anybody else yeah because there's the, a lot of marketing companies to do that too and they're like oh well, we can yeah. get you numbers and it's like i don't need numbers i need people to help like numbers don't do sure anything. and it's like when well, there's <laughs> it's different environments it's different things that you're working on and um you know there 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 are so many different recipes for success and i think it's you just got to define for what success looks like to you mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is for, for you and it's like when you said you came back from the states and this guy when he imparted all that knowledge to you, it's like, and you went back and you were like, wow, I want to, it seems like you imparted a lot with it. Like, oh my God, like this is what I want to do. And, and this is where I see my, my goal. And, and I think he left a lot with you without you even knowing it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I had uh, the notes from that conversation. I, I had them up on a tech board in my room. Uh, gosh, probably two, the first two years of college as I went back, just kind of like, you know, when, when, things were unfamiliar and challenging and just like looking at that and, and kind of reviewing like, okay, what do I need to do? Yeah. And then I think, you know, as I talked about in the TEDx talk, like reflecting on my past experiences, because one of the initial reasons I didn't go to school is because I didn't think I was smart enough. Same. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. do well in high school at same. all. <laughs> I wasn't good at math. I was uh, pretty much, I was going into props. I, and one person come up and believed in me and they're like, you can do this. You're not stupid. Yeah. And it's yeah. shocking. You feel like your my GPA when I graduated was a two point nine. I could have easily had a, I had a four point oh for a long time. I was like, you know what? None of this is challenging my mind, but I didn't feel motivated. Yeah, and I, I think like you know, 
looking back at high school, it's like something I had to do. Mm-hmm. Many of us. Yeah. And, uh, but going to college is something I wanted to do. And I was like internally motivated to complete that. But I had looked at like, hey, I could memorize a script. I could memorize my, you know, even within a short period of time, I could memorize my blocking. I could learn shows. Yeah. You know, I should be able to, to learn mm-hmm. some some different subjects, whatever they might be. Yeah, when you when you finally figured out like what you know your major and your minor, you were the first person to go to college. You just said, you know, what was that like? It was you know like oh my god, like can I do this or was you know the how was that? How was the stepping process into that? I I think um, the first semester really instilled a lot of confidence. My first semester in college, I got a four zero for all my classes. Oh wow! Uh, it was a full load. Um, so I think after doing that, I was like, okay, you know, it, it was some studying. I did take a class that's like understanding your learning style, um, you know, building routines. And so really it was about just understanding myself, Mm. building good routines, and then just continuing that process and making sure that, that I prioritize the things that were important and let go of the things that weren't, um, you know, there were, Matt, I, I, I did have to, uh, go through some like the remedial math classes and stuff. And that was, uh, you know, that was a frustrating challenge <laughs> because, uh, you know, it, when you're not good at, when you're Numbers not good suck. at something, you don't, you don't like to do something you're not good at. <laughs> X does not equal Y. <laughs> but, uh, I, I did statistics. I had to do statistics for my degree and I loved statistics. Yeah. And uh, one of the math majors that I had talked to said, yeah, most people are either going to love like algebra type math and calculus or they're going to love statistics. But oftentimes one person doesn't like the other. You know, if you like statistics, you're probably not going to really enjoy calculus. And if you like calculus, you might not enjoy statistics. But for me, in the way I put it together was like that I could understand how. I think I lost it. And that sort of thing. There we go. (laughs) Oh, well. Hey, there you are. Hey. hey. You, you were frozen for a bit there. I was like, eh. Okay. I just it might, might be my phone. I just got the uh, 20% warning. Uh, I think we better call it then soon. Cool. <laughs> okay, we yeah. Got, we got about an hour and 40 in, so. But yeah. Oh, really that long? Yeah. I told, Man, this has gone by quick. I, I'm telling you, this is when it feels relaxing. You're like, oh my goodness, this feels great. But yeah, man, I, I, with all that stuff and the statistics, and you finally... Got your degree done, and you were like, "Woo!" But by the time I graduated, I had a few uh, professors who said, "You know, you you should really get your master's." So I was like, Ooh. "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> well, you went that far, and and you know, look where it, look where it got you. Like that's crazy. Yeah. That you went from, like the stunt work and the universal stuff got you to where the you know what you're doing now. It's freaking insanity. Yeah, and yeah. I would have never freaking guide you through it. I would have never like, you know, every step along the way. Uh, you know, I've taken it one step at a time and tried to push forward. But looking back, I'm like, I would have, you know, you, at the beginning of school, I would have never imagined going toward some of the things or doing some of the things that I've done. And mm-hmm. it's like, you just got to go for some things. And if you if you have a passion toward something, it doesn't mean you're going to be passionate about that the whole way. Mm-hmm. But like, work that out and get that out. Because I don't think you'll ever regret trying something. True, and you have things to look back on, like okay, that didn't work, or that didn't like that. And yeah, you move. Forward. And I, I would, I would hate to get, 
you know, later in life and say, gosh, I really should have tried this or I should have gone for that. That's why I, I um, always take this for open mind. I always say should have, would have, could have. Everybody goes, why? I said, well, yeah. I'm in debt, to be honest. Uh, you know, I owe money, but it's, at the end of the day, it's like, am I happy? And am I, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm happy. I'm, I'm broke, but I'm, I'm farther to where I, I never thought I'd be. And now sure. when I look back on it and I'm like, dude, you're doing what you want to do and it's, Everybody else is struggling and, and screaming and not not using their degrees. I have friends that have masters and bachelors, not in their field. Yeah. Not in their field, and they're not happy, and they're in debt, and they're just like, God, I thought school would make it so much better, but I'm not doing what I want to be doing. And, and at the end, of the day, I, I think it's yeah. You you gotta you gotta like go after the things that are gonna make you feel challenged, that are gonna help you grow, mm-hmm. um, and that are gonna you know that are gonna push you because it's. Might not always be the things that you love doing, mm-hmm. but I think there's, there's that's where you know the real reward comes in is like pushing past boundaries, pushing past barriers, growing and learning, and then being able to take that forward with you for real. But yeah, I mean, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and then this, same. This was like I'm so glad I got to get this done because it's been over a year. I'm like, hey, come on, be on the podcast. Oh, gosh, like, yeah, that's kind of like, my yeah, quick. Man, yeah, man, sure, like I'll, I'll do it, and uh, just set, set up a date. I didn't know how to you know get in touch because you've been on my Instagram and stuff and. You and Kelly have been freaking amazing supporters. And, just like- and Kelly, by the way, Kelly, before we had the conversation, she left right before we started, but she wanted me to say hi to you. She's oh. like, if the time comes up, make sure you tell Ali I said hi. Oh, we'll so. do. Yeah, we definitely have to. Like, I want to talk about more about the farm. Because you guys have like a farm thing you guys are doing with eco-friendly and all this. I was like, stuff's cool. The stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah, we're, we, yeah we're, we, we enjoy trying different things. I mean, it's life's an adventure and you just got it's up to you to like make the most of it and try different things yeah. and and uh you you really never know what's going to happen and I'll, I'll tell you going into stunt work uh many years ago i would have never ever thought i would have done or worked towards some of the things that i've accomplished and you know it's just uh, and I, I mean even like when we first met i think like knowing that you'd be the guy doing 3d printing and, and making or an impact really, on that or podcasting it's like a year ago i never thought i'd be in podcasting i'm doing that it's yeah like, a freaking website to gaming to like motivation everybody's like bro you grew like what the hell happened yeah. I, I don't know what happened it just uh, somebody yeah. called John Alizea and decided to, like because he was finishing up his UCF degree to decide to let's start a company I don't talk to John often enough as I should because he's doing so much work on his own Yeah, I don't call him when I'm ready until I'm ready and I'm like hey let's try this if it wasn't for that I wouldn't be doing half the stuff I'm doing yeah exactly you never know how one path leads to another so that's why I say like go for it and, and explore those different paths because mm-hmm. you never know how one might, you know, just kind of open up for you. True, exactly. But yeah, we'll have to get on uh, again. I think Kelly on and yeah. talk to you guys some more. I'd love to sit down Definitely. Again, and, and I'm glad you were comfortable and you're like, let's do it. I'm like, let's do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's do it again and let's not wait a year. I mean, I don't know what you've got on your agenda, but I'd be happy to oh, talk dude, to you about you anything. Know, it's, anytime, it's, not, it's not that. It's just getting people uh, with their schedule and sitting down and like, because I'm just recording on a laptop and a freaking recorder next to me with a microphone. And everybody's like, okay. oh, it costs so much money. I'm like, it costs nothing to do a podcast. It just takes time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm the one who's got to do all the editing. Now I got to do all the editing sure. and getting everything together. And But, oh, man, it was it's always a pleasure, man. It's just great to have people. Same. Like, let's, let's Virtual handshake on. here. Yeah, high five. <laughs> high five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's so cool to learn more about you. That was like, we Same. haven't spoken in quite a while, and it's been great to... <laughs> You know, for you and her to like even give me the quick like or love, it's like, hey man, like, what are you up to? I'm like, I'm trying this. Keep at it. I'm like, I'm, I am, I am, but I lost a notebook to this. Which is funny, I lost a notebook a year ago from 3D printing, but I had so many notes. And oh gosh, that's rough. It. And I was like, oh, so how do I program this? 
So it's like, now I have it all written down on digital, and so now I have it in, like, many different places. And thank God the iPhone has notepad and Windows has, yeah. you know, stuff. So I have so many notes now which I need to share with people, but I'm kind of stingy on that, too, because it takes a lot of research, and I'm not making anything from it. So I'm like, mm. Yeah. But, yeah. Got to balance that out. Yeah, it's just getting everything done correctly and, and taking my time mm-hmm. with everything. And yeah. R&D takes time, and people are like, I want to see results. It's like, it takes time. But, yeah, and uh, gotta do it right. Yeah, exactly. Like you, as you were stating, you start from a spin kick and then move to you know a heel kick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hey, if if uh, if you want to, if as you're editing, if you want to like dig into anything more and and you want to reschedule something, I'm happy to do that. We'll do. I think this is um, gonna be a great one for everybody. I think everybody's gonna be cool. pretty excited. Awesome. You want, they don't know who you are, but they will soon. So. I was trying to like, oh, here I am. This is Ben. <laughs> but yeah, we definitely love to sit down for another one, and, and uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. you and Kelly and talk about some farming and stuff that you kind of, what you guys learned from your traveling and, you know, what it's been like to live there and now in Colorado. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, most definitely. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm going to call it here and wish you guys okay. with the best. And if you could, same, same. wish everybody to keep an open mind if you could. Yep. So I'm gonna, oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody, keep an open mind. You never know what's possible. There you go. All right, guys. Have a good one. As Ben said, keep an open mind. Have a good one. I will talk to you later, sir. Have a great one. Thank you. You too. Pleasure. Thanks, Ali. Be safe, then. One year for my birthday, I got all the He-Man gear. I got the action figures, the big wheel. I got the He-Man underwear and the sword and the shield. I used to love to run around pretending that I was He-Man. One thing I do remember about He-Man is that he was just a regular guy until he needed to take control of a situation. When he did, he would raise his sword just like this, and he would say, I have the power! And he would transform and use all of his potential. I see a lot of folks in here with a lot of potential. And I invite you to stand up with me so we can begin to transform together. Go ahead and grab your imaginary He-Man sword and raise it up. And on the count of three, we're going to say, I have the power together. One, two, three. I have the power. That was fantastic. I really felt the power from you guys. Thank you so much. Please have a seat. Really great job. Now, as I got a little older... I didn't have the sword anymore. And I began to forget that I had the power, which also meant that I didn't transform or use the most of my potential. And then I started to use ready, reflecting, evaluating, developing, and implementing to make sure that I had my power 
and was using the most of my potential. Here's how it started. After 14 years of martial arts training, I received an invitation to world championships. This was a pro-am competition, so it was professional and amateur competitors competing against one another. This invitation changed my life. I had been training in martial arts for 14 years and done so many competitions, so I thought I knew what to do. So I began doing the normal routine, practicing, training, all the way up until the competition. We arrived the night before and walked into this room that was enormous. It was at least three times bigger than any competition I had been to before. As I looked out across the room, 10-foot by 10-foot squares were taped all across the floor, except for one in the middle. It looked like a boxing ring, and I'd never seen that before. What was it? As I reviewed my competition details, I realized that I would be competing in forms, routines, in that ring the next morning. Cool. The morning of the competition, I got up, and it did not take long for me to realize the professionals from the amateurs. I was doing karate, and they were doing ninja. I felt a little out of place. Later that day, in fighting, you could say I deserved some respect for how clean I was able to get those floors. <laughs> I was disappointed in my results in both. Have you ever felt that way? You've done all the things that you were supposed to do, your training, practice. You've met all the expectations, and you just don't feel like it was quite good enough. On the long five-hour car ride home, I spent time reflecting on my performance. Honestly, it was probably the next couple of weeks, too. I was really disappointed in my performance at World Championships. I thought that was my shot. When I thought about the performance, a lot of the competitors did backflips, and I could do backflips, but I didn't do any. Some did what we call extreme kicks, and I could do some extreme kicks, but I didn't do any. I had trained in tumbling for six years at this point, and the original purpose to train in tumbling was to integrate that into my martial arts routines. And the only thing that I'd done with my tumbling at this point was to try and impress girls. And that wasn't working well either. I realized that I had just been coasting. I had developed skills and abilities over the years that I was totally ignoring and just doing the usual routine. It can be the same in the workplace when we, caught, when we get caught in doing just the normal routine. There's no doubt that so many of us are busy between emails and phone calls, meetings, working with coworkers or customers. Have you taken a moment to think about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how that's impacting you? Chances are, if you took a moment to step back 
and reflect on your experience, you would see a lot of possibilities for positive improvements. As I began to evaluate my performance, I thought back to before the competition. The feedback that I received was that I had good stances, good follow-through. I had snap, power, focus, timing. I met all the marks. But when I started to think about all that I was capable of, what would my best performance look like if I took some of the tumbling skills that I had and I took some of those extreme kicks and I mixed them together into a routine and it had good balance? That is what a good routine would look like for me. So I realized what I had done before, it was average. In the workplace, we have the minimum standards, standards and expectations. Our leaders and managers expect us to meet those standards. But if you think about your skills and your abilities and the things that you're capable of, are you making the most out of your experience? The next thing I did was start developing a plan. I decided I was going to go back to World Championships the next year. I decided I was going to focus on one thing. Instead of doing forms and fighting, I was going to do forms, because all of my skills and abilities all pointed to that, and that's where I could make the biggest impact. I developed my plan and included the right people those individuals who could give me the type of feedback that would help me move forward. One person I connected with was a gymnastics coach. I didn't have a lot of space in that 10 by 10 ring to get a running start, so I needed to figure out how to get more power out of my tumbling. By including the right people, I was able to ensure that we were moving forward together, and by sharing a plan, we were on the right path. In the workplace, it's no different. I would encourage you to develop a plan and share that with the right people. Think about your work situation. Chances are there are skills and abilities that you could integrate into your work that would make a better impact for you and in turn make a better impact for those working around you. By sharing your plan and the things that you're interested in, the goals you're going toward, you could include the right people so that you are driving the feedback process and not simply waiting for somebody to tell you what they're expecting from you. Align your path so you can move forward together. Next, I had to implement. I began training at the karate gym, practicing at the tumbling gym, and on the weekends, I would go out to the park and practice my routine. I was taking all the things that were available to me and integrating that into my regular routine. I would try something. If it didn't work, I'd make adjustments and try it again. I was reflecting, evaluating, developing, and implementing, and I was seeing some good results. When you think about your experience at work, are the things that you're planning, 
that you've been developing, are those important enough for you to follow up on? We need to take action before we can get the feedback on that action, both from ourselves and from those leaders, managers, and possibly coworkers, the trusted friend that can help give you the feedback to move you forward. The next year, I went back to World Championships, and I felt like I won the championships when I placed fifth. I never thought I'd be so excited about placing fifth. But I knew I had done for myself what nobody else could do for me. I was the best me. I gave my 100%. I gave my all into doing that, and I didn't feel average. I felt great. I felt awesome. And that was my reward for that competition. Are you ready to make the most of your power and unleash your potential because only you know exactly what you need to make the most of your experience and be the best you. Thank you.